Our sermon text for today comes from the book of Colossians, the second chapter, starting in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you, not sub do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we can read and study and learn more about you through it. God, we pray that you would be with Perry as he brings the message. Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to focus in and hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Anthem Church. Hey, that's better. Y'all are getting better. Every time we do this, that was a little bit of a test. So Rick always tells me to introduce myself, which I have to be perfectly honest with you. I probably could preach for seven hours. I would just need a little bit of Gatorade. We'd have to take a little intermission. But the hardest part of that entire thing is to introduce myself. So I'm Perry. Uh, my darling wife, Becky, my two darling children are, are sitting over here. An interesting fact about me. I am praying that my wife would soon love me and love Jesus enough to move to Alaska because I can't stand North Carolina heat. There we go. I got an amen. This is going good already. We haven't even started. We're getting some amens. So a couple of reasons I am super excited to be here this morning. First of all, some of you do know, some of you don't know that over the course probably of the last seven, eight months since last fall, every time that I have preached here or been scheduled to preach here, I've got sick. Something weird, something random, sinuses, allergies, bubonic plague. I've had the whole gamut of stuff. I lost my voice for an entire month. Becky loved it, drove me crazy. She was telling me stuff she'd wanted me to know since high school. This is what you should know. She loved it. So I was moving into this week, and I was thinking, this is great. I'm not sick, no sniffles, no coughs, no nothing. Monday morning, I go to work, and three people are dying in my office. They're hocking up a lung. They're, ah, ah. I'm thinking, oh, great, this ain't going to be good. I don't panic. Come in Tuesday morning, and one of them are out with strep throat. I, at that point began to, I would love to say I was so spiritual and I started praying. It's not what I did at all. Completely not what I did at all. At that point, I pretty much started drinking hand sanitizer. I was popping vitamin C's like they were Tic Tacs, gargling with Clorox at night, and thankfully, we have made it to this point and I'm not sick. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Now, if I wake up dead tomorrow, we're in trouble. Second thing, there's another reason I'm very excited to be here. Rick made fun of me. He said I wouldn't last in a chair like 30 seconds. I put this here so I don't walk around. But, uh, second reason I'm very happy to be here. How many of you serving kids? Any capacity? Raise your hand. Raise them. Raise them loud and proud. Raise them high. There you go. I see those hands. Now, keep them up. Keep them up. If you look around and you see a hand anywhere near you, when this service is over, you should take them out to lunch and buy. Okay? You can put your hands down. Here's why. Here's why you should do that. Because without them... Every Sunday, roughly one-third of the living, breathing bodies that pass through those doors are in our kids' ministry. And without them, they would be screaming and crying. There would be this overarching smell of poop. <laughs> there would be people in the back saying, Mommy, I got to go potty. We don't have to deal with any of that stuff. So you should find them, shake their hand, hug their neck, take them to lunch, wash their car, whatever you feel led to do. But one of the reasons, I said all that for a purpose, one of the reasons that I'm happy to be here today is that I do not have to wear one of the Anthem Yellow Kids <laughs> shirts. Now here's what you should know, the shirts are my idea. The shirts are my, but it, here, if you hadn't figured this out, I don't really wear a petite size shirt, okay? So watch it, watch it, watch it. So some of my brothers <coughs> find it necessary when I wear my Anthem Kids shirt all too often to come up with all sorts of, you know, school bus jokes and 
son jokes, not like S-O-N being spiritual Jesus, so no, like S-U-N, son jokes. So number one, I get to wear adult people clothes. Number two, I'm here today. So I'm very happy to be here. I'm excited. There is always a little bit of a challenge, and I'm going to tell you this challenge as you're uh, turning to the book of Colossians, the second chapter. Now, if you were born in 1990 or later, you're turning on a device. That's fine. If you were born prior to that, you're flipping through your Bible. I always get either a young person or an old dude to come up and say, that's not funny. But... (laughs) Let's just be realistic here. Turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible and you would at all like a Bible, when you leave out of here today, look to your left. There's an info table and there are Bibles there that we would be more than happy to give to you, your gift to us. No strings attached, no charge, no anything. So Colossians chapter 2. Here's the challenge when you're sort of bringing together a message in a series like this. All right? So you can't... Focus way too much on the past, and that way if somebody wasn't here for any or all of those messages, they're completely lost. You also don't have the time to give like the whole background of what's got you from chapter 1, verse 1 to where we are today, chapter 2, verse 16. You don't have time to go into a lot of detail, so you sort of got to wrap everything up in one little precise statement. So here's the precise statement, okay? The book of Colossians is a book of warnings. All right? It is a book of warnings. There are a few different kind of warnings. The warnings take a little bit of different form. They even warn us of different things. But it's basically a book of warnings against false teachings, false false doctrines, false practices, false religious ideas, false religious activities, and all those things that in some way, shape, fashion, or form can prevent us from growing in a genuine relationship as the body of Christ corporately, and as the children of God through the work of Christ individually. All right? Now, here's the thing with warnings. (laughs) Here's the warning about warnings. All right? The warning about warning is this, is that there's two probabilities anytime you deal with a warning. Because let's just be realistic. We live in a safety sally world now, okay? You can nod your head whether you agree, you shake your head, I don't care. We live in a safety sally world today, okay? Now, when I was growing up, I don't know where this came from. When I was growing up, there were no car seats. I rode standing up in the middle of a truck seat or in the back of the truck. I'm okay for the most part. It didn't damage me. It didn't scar me. Now you have to be 25 or 312 pounds before you don't have to ride. It's ridiculous. We go to the extreme on warnings, okay? Here's the warning about warnings. Number one, when we start talking about warnings, there's a specific danger that we completely ignore it and don't pay any attention and don't heed it and we don't learn what we're being warned about. For example, go to CVS today, buy a box of Benadryl. It's probably good that on that box of Benadryl it says, if you take 16 within the next four hours, don't operate heavy equipment. Okay? It's important that sometimes we have these warnings. So we need to heed certain warnings. The second thing is this. Sometimes when we learn of warnings and dangers, as we get familiar with them, we begin to forget them. And we begin to say, well, you know, really don't know if that's all that important. So when we look at warnings, we have to be very careful that we're specific, and we stop, and we take a couple of moments to look and see what these warnings were, okay? So the book of Colossians, according to the PCSV, the Pericotton Standard Version, is a book of warnings. Now today, we're going to see some specific warnings about our walk with Christ. They evolve around this fact, all right? Christ died on a cross, Period in the sentence. We can elaborate on that. We can apply that. We can break that down. But there's absolutely nothing that we can add to that fact. We were sinful. We were destined for a devil's hell. God intervened. He sent his son. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. We can know and experience life. Period in the sentence. When Jesus screamed the word to telestyle on the cross, he didn't say it's almost finished or it's partially finished. It is finished. Done, complete, in the sentence. Okay? Here's our warning. We tend in our relationships with Christ, in our growth as a church, in our growth as individuals, as we get a little more especially familiar that we think we want to or need to add to that. Perry calls that the Jesus plus one. All right? Everybody know what a plus one is? This means yes, this means no, plus one. For all you ladies, it's funny, all you ladies are shaking your head. Not a single dude shook his head at that time. No, no clue. All right, here you go. Women, you know what a plus one is. Dudes, 
You panic when you figure out what a plus one is, right? Okay? So let me give you, let me give you a story from a galaxy far, far away. Several, 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 several years ago, a friend of mine, who ironically is that one friend that I might see five times this year, I might see once this year, and we can automatically pick up right where we were, okay? Now, the irony of that is that we're nearly polar opposites. Other than the fact that he's a big guy, I'm a big white guy, he's not a big white guy. I drive a truck, he drives a cube, for real. I hunt fish. He has no clue what I'm even talking about most of the time. If I can't find something on the internet, I just shoot him texts and says, what, can you find this? Can you like cyber stalk this for me? He sends me all these emojis all the time that I don't even know what they mean. I didn't even know what emoji was. I thought he was doing something negative to me when he first did. So years and years ago, this friend of mine, he was getting married. He sent an invitation. In the invitation came an RSVP, RSVP, the card you send back that has a stamp on it, right? We tracking? Now, all you ladies are like, he cannot be that dumb. Seriously, I don't know. All the dudes are like, yep, card stamp, got it, all right? On that card, will you be attending? Check. Will you be bringing a guest? Plus one. Oh, hmm. See, here's what you should know. That, many moons ago, was at a course in time that I was a single man. I didn't even have a girlfriend at the time, but... I had met this young lady. Well, actually, this young lady was sort of stalking me, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> she might or might not be in this room at this point in time. <laughs> this was at the point in time that we had actually never even had a date, okay? I mean, this was, this was like, you know, how you doing, how you doing, hey, giggles, you know, that sort of thing going on. That was about where we were. That's, that's, that's it, all right? In three months, or however long they thought they needed to send this card out instead of the week off so I could make up my mind, I had to check and send back. Am I bringing somebody with me? Am I not bringing somebody with me? Here's the problem with that. This is three months away. So if I show up after checking, yes, I have a plus one, without anybody, then, because the way you ladies have to organize everything, there is an empty seat beside me at the table when we eat dinner that evening, right? If I do not check that box, then I've got to figure out how to put two people in one seat and share one plate, all right? <laughs> There's the conundrum of the plus one. So here's the problem with plus one when we add it to something that actually matters in spiritual aspects. So many times we think that the work of Christ, whether we're talking about what he began in us, what he's doing in us, or what he's promised to complete in us, we feel as though we need to bring something else to it that we're going to call our plus one. And here's the danger to that. God doesn't need anything from us in order to accomplish what he intends to accomplish in us and through us, all right? So today we're going to look at three things. There, there are three areas that we really have to evaluate the plus ones that we tend to add to this idea of Christianity or a relationship with Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and explain to you. Pastor Rick was praying a few minutes ago, and he labeled this as a tricky passage. To which I say, okay, you wait till four minutes before service starts to admit that this is a tricky passage. Because it is a tricky passage, I'm going to sort of break my own rules. And we not only are going to have a, an aspect that we look at, but we're going to have a question that helps us to see if this is an area in our life where we're trying to add a plus one to. All right? Make sense? I'm going to talk fast. You're going to listen fast. It's going to be great. Number one is this. First area for us to evaluate Christ plus my works. The question that we ask is what defines you? What defines you? Now, before we even go any farther, this is not a Pauline parathetical phrase. This is a peri parathetical phrase. I couldn't even say that correctly. This is peri parentheses phrase. All right? After almost 20 years of ministry in some form, shape, fashion, capacity of some sort, when I talk to people, or people talk to me, that are in the age range of 30, 40, 50, even 60 years old, 100% of the, I'm not going to go that far, 99.9% .9 of the time, the things that they are still struggling with in their life today relates all the way back to something that happened in their life most of the time between the ages of 12 to 21. 99% of the time. 10, 15, 20 years later, when you talk to people, things that define them in their teenage years are still having an impact most of the time negatively on their life. So when I ask this question, what defines you? 
I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I want you to hear this. Be very careful. Be very, very careful with who or what you, def- you allow to define who you are. Be very careful with the people or the circumstances or the relationships in your life that you allow right now to define who you are apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. Here's one of the things that might be completely off base, but I'm going to say it and I feel compelled to say it. If you're a teenage girl, your worth is not found in your sexuality or your looks or your beauty or anything else. And right now, I beg you as a dad, as a man, to guard who you allow to define you. Because it will impact you from this day forward. Dudes, same thing. Older, as we get older, who do you allow to define you? Because that you give to that person or that thing or that circumstance or that object, you give them an open door to come in and control your life. Anything apart from the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, if it defines you as anything other than a son or a daughter of the king, you're in a place that you're about to mess up. So let's look at this idea of Christ plus our works. Verse 16 of Colossians chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, stop. That's what you're saying. He does this every time. Absolutely. Sometimes people say, I just don't understand the scripture. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't have the answers to understanding the scripture. It can be a, a confusing, deep book. But Bible Understanding 101, according to Perry, is this. Anytime you see a word like therefore, always stop because it's therefore a reason. So what's the reason in verse 16 that Paul would begin this with this word therefore? Therefore, simply stated means this. Look back to verse 13, whether you look there or not, it says this. We, whether we claim to be a child of God today or not, we had a point and a place and a time in our life when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And not only were we dead, we were separated from God. Now hear this. I didn't just say we were bad people that needed to be made good. I didn't say we were sick people that needed to be made well. We were dead and needed to be made alive. And verses 13, 14, and 15 tells us that it was God himself who went to an extreme to bring us to the place of not being his enemy but his child. And he sent his only son to live on this earth, to die on a cross, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, to be raised again on the third day. He canceled our debt. He paid the debt. He nailed it to the cross. And it's done. Anything other than that, and you're completely wasting your time and mine in the next few minutes. If anything needs to be added to Christ's work on the cross, this all is a joke, and we're wasting our time. It's not. It's completed. It is finished. It's done. And when we see this word, therefore, everything that we're about to look at hinges on that one idea. What Christ did was sufficient, and it was complete, and it's done. Let me even say this. I want to be very careful and very sympathetic and very gracious, which I'm not known for. But if you're not a child of God, whether or not you believe that or accept that, whether you've ever stood at that crossroads and submitted your life to Jesus Christ or not, it doesn't change that fact. It was completed. It was completed. It was done. It was finished. It was sufficient. People all the time, Perry, you don't understand what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I can find an example of somebody who's done worse than you, and now they are a child, a daughter, or a son of a king. The other side of that is, sometimes I talk to people and I really think they won't say it, but Perry, you don't realize, I mean, you don't realize, it's me. There's nothing you've done, good or bad, that impresses God or scares him or turns him away. We're going to look at that in just a minute, and I'm going to say it a few times through this. There's absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's absolutely nothing you can or have ever done to make God love you less. Therefore, verse 16 says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
Those are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul is writing this letter to a group of people, very much like the church in America today, that is being saturated by this idea that there's some extra things you've got to do. If you really want to be spiritual, there's some extra things you want to do. This here, Colossians, as we read this, Paul is most specifically addressing some Jewish ideas that have come from the Old Testament law and are now filtering into the New Testament church that would say, hey, you want to be a child of God? Jesus is great. Don't forget about this. Don't, don't, don't eat that. Don't not eat that on the day you're supposed to eat that. Don't forget about this festival. Don't forget about this new moon. Don't, about, don't forget about this thing you're supposed to do. And what you begin to see in this passage of Scripture and in the church today, there's this accumulation of extra things that we would do in order to in some way impress God. Now, I believe this is the most important of the three areas that we're going to look at, so we're going to spend a little bit more time there. When we talk about the things that define us, and we find ourselves in a place that, you know what? Whether I would admit it or not, or whether I would say it publicly or even out loud or not, I really am living a life, a Christian life, a church-going life, where I think that as long as Christ did this and I keep doing this, I'm getting the thumbs up from him. And if that's the area that you find yourself in, quickly I want to tell you how to break that. Quickly. A couple of things. The first one is this. Reflect on your freedom. I'm going to give you all a huge secret right now, okay? Anybody that ever stands here and does this to a group of people, there is one word that scares them to death. You know what that word is? Freedom. Because there's this fear, whether we would ever admit it or not, in the back of our mind or the front of our mind or somewhere bouncing around in our mind, that if we say to a group of people that love Jesus and follow Jesus that you have freedom in Christ, they're going to go out and do whatever in the world they want to do. But the truth of the matter is, especially if we have this mindset that there's something else that I can do, there's some other work, there's some other thing that defines me, that I'm good at. As long as we have that mindset, we've got to return to this idea that we have a freedom in Christ. It's a freedom not to sin, but a freedom from sin. It's a freedom that we don't have to do anything. Now, the reality of that and the hard part of that is the flip side of that coin is because Jesus, then I want to do some things and not do some things and be this and not be that. That's part of it. But we have to come to the place that we realize we are free. Free. No strings attached. No ifs, ands, or buts. No free as long as you do this. We are genuinely free in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember, or reflect on that freedom. Reject legalism. Oh, boy. <laughs> I gotta, I'm going to come to this side because my darling bride is on that side. And some of us, if we're honest, we just have a tendency to feel comfortable in legalism. Whether we're talking about church, spiritual stuff, work, a diet. I start a diet every Monday, whether I need it or not. You know why none of those diets work? Because I just need a list. Perry, you can eat 428 pounds of broccoli this week. Got it. I can do it. Perry, you can do this. You can do this. I need a list. That's just sort of wired into me. Part of the reason that our flesh yearns and gravitates towards this idea of legalism is because, number one, it gives us a platform for, like, a, a self-righteousness. I mean, I check, check, check. I did it. God's impressed. Perry did this. Good to go. But also, I think if we unpack that a little bit, there's a little bit... If we're really honest, then it gives us a platform for some self-control issues. I mean, I got to be in control. Jesus, I got to have a little bit of my hand on the wheel, you know. Jesus take the wheel type thing. Never understood that theology. But anyway, Jesus take the wheel type. I got to have a little bit of control. He can do, but I, I got to be here. And if we're not careful, legalism becomes that platform where we check off a list and, and we feel like we've got more control in it than we actually do. Here's the danger with that. We don't have any control. I hate to bust your bubble, my bubble, the bubbles. We don't have control. I don't care what you're talking about. Your kids, your job, your life. You're going to get in the car in a little while and leave this building. You have no control of what happens. You might be able to steer a car, control the speed, work the air conditioning. But that's about it. You have no control about what happens. Safest drive in the world, tire blows out. 
We have no control. So reject the idea of legalism. Also, remember grace. Now, this is a little bit difficult. The scripture is very clear. In those verses we looked at a minute ago, because of the work of Christ, we have things that we absolutely have not earned and do not deserve. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Perry's translation, we brought nothing to the table of worth in the relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ. But by faith, through grace, we can know and be the children of God and have a relationship with God completely because of the grace of God. Verse 17 says this. Just one more little thing here. These are a shadow of the things to come. These are a shadow of the things to come. Now let me ask you this. You ever seen a kid discover their shadow? Perry's pretty simple-minded. Perry uses simple-minded illustrations because they help simple-minded Perry understand things. You ever seen a kid discover their shadow? I mean, not like adult kid. That's just creepy and weird. Little baby kid. Like, whoa, hey, what is this? Move my hand, this thing moves. Move my foot, this thing, what is it? You ever see that look of like confusion and excitement and intrigue and should I be ready to fight? You know, that all just sort of gets rolled into one. Well, a few weeks ago, completely transparent here, we've never let Willie Gray sleep in our bed. I would love to say that that's some like parent. No, our children sleep like bulldozers. <laughs> Colton, when she was two and weighed Two pounds. She could push you off the bed. Like, how does this happen? No. Get in a crib, sleep in a crib. Well, sometimes Willa Grace, in her infinite mischievousness, <laughs> figures out that if she wakes up early and mom and daddy don't want to get up yet, that she can run and get in the bed with us. <laughs> I tried so hard. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, we're laying there, sun come up, sun come through the window, and Willa Grace is like, huh, huh. And the first start with, she gets this face like, oh, what, what, what's going on? And she... She's figured out that when daddy moves his arm, there's a shadow of his arm. When daddy moves his leg, there's a shadow of his leg. When daddy moves his shoulder, there's this big shadow of shoulder that comes. And she's like, oh, ah, you know, this whole thing going on at one time. Now, how weird would it have been if from that point forward, every time she went to hug dear old dad, she hugged my shadow? <laughs> how weird would it have been if when she went to give me a kiss, she didn't kiss me, she kissed my shadow. How weird would that be from that point forward, from two years old to however old she is when I leave this earth, from that point forward, all of her affection, all of her emotion, all of her love, every expression of anything at that point, she didn't give to me, but she gave to the shadow of me. Well, Paul is saying right here, what we do when we think we can add stuff to what Christ has done in our life, when we think by observing some religious activity, or when we think by doing this act or not doing this act or keeping this list of rules or not keeping this list of rules, when we think that impresses God, we're pouring our affection to the shadow of Jesus Christ to come. See, the Old Testament's full of all these laws. People get bogged down. I mean, honestly, I don't understand them all. I can get bogged down. Unless I remember the fact that this, everything there, points me to the person of Jesus Christ. And it points me to the time that my life is intersected with a cross that he was nailed to. And Paul says this, when we get focused on those works that we think we have to add to what God has done, we're pouring our affection and our emotion and our love to the shadow instead of the person that went to any extreme to know us and to love us. The later part of verse 17, it says this, the substance belongs to Christ. These things are the shadow. The substance is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Number two, Christ, excuse me, number two, Christ plus my feelings and my emotions. Christ plus my feelings and or emotions. Now, I'm going to be very careful here. But the question that we ask ourselves is what feelings and emotions control us see there's a tendency to go from one extreme to the other that we either act like emotions and feelings they're not real they're not there they mean nothing they have no value they have no place and that's simply not correct 
The other side of that extreme is that we let everything about us, every decision that we make, every stance that we take, be completely controlled by some emotion or feeling and not by any facts. I mean, let's just be honest. We live in a world that does that. Fact means nothing. This is what I feel like. There's a danger there. I know the fact might be A, B, or C, but I feel like this, so I'm going to take a stance here. There's a danger there. There's a specific danger when we talk about the idea of being a child, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. I'm giving you the punchline. I've told you in the past. I read a magazine from the back forward. Here's the fine print. Our emotions and our feelings are never going to be adequate. If we base everything spiritual on some feeling or an emotion that we're chasing, it's never going to be enough. Even if we think it's enough today, tomorrow it's going to come up short. So I want to be very careful. Our feelings and our emotions are real. They need to be dealt with. We can't act like they don't exist. But we have to keep them in the priority and the place that they don't control who we are in Christ. Verse 18, it says this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels. And we could very easily include here worship style or song choice or volume or a lot of other things. Going on in detail about visions and being puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. You notice that head there is with a capital H? Who's the head? Well, if we look back in verse 10, it tells us it's the person of Jesus Christ. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, and it grows with a growth that is from God. Paul, 100% certainty, I am sure that he is dealing with this mindset that we see in the church today. I don't care. I didn't say nothing about no denomination. I didn't say nothing about race, creed. I didn't say anything about any of that. In the church, in America, and in the world today, we see this same mindset that 2,000 years ago Paul is addressing. And that mindset is this. You want to say you're spiritual? Show me something else. Show me something else. Now, it's easy for us to jump on one side of that bandwagon. Talking about we need visions, we need to do this, we need to do that. It's just as, just as easy to jump on the other side of it. You love Jesus, you dress a certain way, you look a certain way, comb your hair a certain way, you do all these things. It says here, you think that by doing this or having this vision or even some of the stuff that it's pointing to here that you live this life of just complete denial. You live in a cave, you have no air conditioning, you won't eat food half the time. And we think that's crazy. But throughout history, there's all these people that have tried to do all sorts of things once they say they've come to know Jesus Christ to impress him more. Go back. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. Paul is addressing something that is just as real and just as prevalent as it is today. It's this extra stuff. Christ plus some feeling or some emotion or something that we think makes us most, more spiritual. And the truth of the matter is, when we come to understanding who we are in Christ, it all rolls back to the facts of who he is and what he's done, not how we feel about it. Not how we feel about it. The truth of the matter is, in a room this size, there's an extreme. There's people, we sing certain songs, and I look and your hands are raised, it's awesome. Some people, we sing certain songs, you look, and they're just standing there, tears coming down their face. Some people, no emotion whatsoever. And that's okay. We're different in Christ. It doesn't mean that there's no parameters. It doesn't mean that we can just go wacky doodle and do whatever. And that's not what it's saying, but it's saying this, that our emotions can't be central. The person and work of Jesus Christ, that is central to who we are in Christ. There's nothing else to add to it. Several years ago, <clears throat> I went through a season that caused me to question everything in my life. And when I say everything in my life, I really mean everything in my life. It started with this, salvation. Am I saved? What's it even mean to be saved? 
Can you be saved? Do I want to be saved? Certain areas of obedience, did God really say? Did God really call? Is this really ministry? Is that even a thing? Is that something you do? Is that something you don't do? How do you do it? You do it this time? You do it no time? Do you do it what, what time? It drew me, thankfully, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit of God, it drew me to the Scriptures. And here's what I learned through that season. It's not about me. Any of those questions, it's not about Perry. It's not about how I feel about it. It's not about how I think about it. It's not even about what I want to think about it. It's not about me. It was about the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation, not about Perry. If I completely, my entire life, had rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't change the fact that there's a Savior who died so that I could have life. doesn't change it at all. Obedience, not about me. It's not about what Perry wants. It's not about how Perry thought this would end or how it would start or how it would go from point A to point B. It's not about Perry. It's about the plan and purpose of God. The scripture clearly says, I have a plan, I have a purpose. It's specific and it's poignant for your life. The New Testament even says that if we can hold on to it, it's a plan that would absolutely blow our mind what God has in store for us. Ministry, not about Perry. Any other thing at that season of my life, as I went back to the scriptures, and as I filtered it through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that we do through his word, it's not about Perry. Y'all know what a filter is, right? Some of y'all just gave me the look like, huh? Y'all know what a filter is, right? This means yes, this means no. Filter. I'm a weirdo. I like to change the oil in my vehicles. I don't like to go somewhere and have somebody else do it. Number one, I'm a cheapskate. Number two, I enjoy doing it. All right? So an oil filter, you know how an oil filter works? It's really simple, but it's actually pretty cool if you really think about it. You pour an object into a motor, most of the time at the top. Don't do it at the bottom, at the top. It circulates through your motor. At some point in that circulation process, it goes through a filter. Boy, that was southern, the way I just said filter. It goes through a filter. As it comes out the filter, there's still a consistency of oil that continues to circulate through your motor, Right? Well, what's the purpose of the filter? Because if there's anything impure, anything that's foreign, anything that should not be in that oil, the filter catches it and contains it, and then the oil goes through. See, that's what we have to do with our emotions and our feelings. No matter which end of that spectrum that we're on. No emotions, super hyper emotions. All of our emotions have to be filtered through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of his word. And what we find is that the impurities... And the foreign objects, and the dirt, and the clutter, and all those things that come along with human life, they don't make it through. And at the other side, we're left with a pure substance that brings us to the place of simply knowing and following and obeying Jesus Christ in our life. Third thing is this. Y'all had not been listening fast enough. we got to talk fast. Third thing is this. Christ plus my sacrifices. All right, you're going to have to listen. Because the question here is what enslaves you? This isn't going to make sense if you don't listen. Christ plus my personal sacrifices. Remember, he's writing to a group of people, and within this group of people, there are some people that think this. If I get up every morning and flog myself, God's more impressed with me. That sounds crazy to us, right? Ah. This morning, there are people that got up and said, if I put this on, God's more impressed with me and go to this place at this time. There's more impressions. Other side of that, there are people that got up and said, I can wear whatever I want. God's impressed with me. Be careful when we throw stones from our glass house. There were people at that point in time that thought, if I would live a life of complete sacrifice, barely eat enough to keep me alive, that God would be more impressed. There were people that thought all this kind of lifestyle would impress God. So if we're not careful, we'll look at the sacrifice of Christ the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, and we, not by our words, but by our actions, will say, there's a few things that I've got to add to this sacrifice in order to make it complete. Verse 20, it says this, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Be real careful. We will cover this real quick. Paul is not saying that we are not to be a people of submission. 
Not, not what he's saying. All through the scriptures, we are a people that submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to the work of Jesus Christ, to the leaders that Jesus Christ puts over us, to the rules and to the laws and to the parameters and all those things. We are a people of submission. But what Paul is saying is be very careful who you choose to submit to. Because if you're not careful, by your act of submission, you are enslaving yourself in a place that God never intended for you to be. I'm overly simple. Another place in scripture it says this, like a dog returns to his vomit. There's the picture. There's the picture. We keep on coming back. I need this. I need this. I need this. Y'all don't look at me like you're spiritual. We all do that. Hebrews says, be careful of the sin that so easily entangles you. There are things that every one of us need to be mindful that we can't walk next to because it will entangle us and cause us to stumble. But so often, what do we do? I know we do it. I do it. Scripture says we do we does it. Scripture says we do it. Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lust. You know why he told him to do that? Because our human tendency is to get as close to that thing and hang our feet over as far as we can without falling and then be puffed up and say, I was there, nothing happened. And next time I'm going to get a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer until I fall because I put myself in a place that I have to trust my own strength in order not to do what God's already told me not to do. Be very careful when we begin to look at ourselves and think there's a sacrifice that we can add to it. Paul's saying this, be careful who you submit yourself to because by your submission you're enslaving yourself, either good or bad, to the person and work of Jesus Christ for the name and for the sake and for the glory of God and his kingdom or to anything else. It enslaves you. Verse 21, it says, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Verse 23, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, aestheticism, severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Real quickly, what enslaves you? What is that thing that controls you? Here's what I know. About myself, about people I talk to. The majority of us, that's a thing that nobody else has a clue about. We look cool as a cucumber on the outside. I got this. I can walk next to it. I can talk to it. I can flirt with it. I can be around it. What is that thing that you choose to submit to that controls you that is not the person and the work of Jesus Christ? What is that thing that does not start in the gospel, that doesn't start in our sinfulness and our separation from God, that doesn't continue through a God who loved us enough to send his son to go to a cross, that continues through a, a savior that is nailed to a cross and buried in a tomb and raised on the third day? What is that thing that is contrary to the work of God in your life that he has started and promised to finish that we choose to keep walking next to and getting close to and getting next to. What is that thing? What are those things that have been crucified with Christ on a cross that you continue to resuscitate? What are those things that were crucified on a cross with Christ and you continue to keep just alive enough that when you want it or need it, you can pull it back out and pump life back into it. What are those things? Paul says here, you got this whole list of stuff. You think doing this or not doing this. Eating this food, not eating this food. Not touching this thing, touching it. You think all this stuff is elevating your position in Christ. What are those things that have been crucified that we continually are giving CPR to? We're keeping it just alive enough that we can pull it out. Because here's what I know about those things. Those are the things that 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 years down the road, they'll be the same things over and over that when people begin to speak and when you read the Word of God and when people pray for you and with you and over you, that's the same thing that keeps popping up. 25 years ago, <clears throat> didn't mean to do that, 25 years ago, I spoke to a friend of mine about something. His words were, I need to take care of that. To which I said to him, if you don't take some decisive steps right now, draw a line in the sand, this is how you're going to take care of that, 
10 years, 20 years, 15 years, 50 years down the road, you're still going to be struggling with the same thing. As of about three weeks ago, he's in the exact same place that he was 25 years ago. You know what makes that all the sadder? He's a child of God. I, I don't know his heart. The best that I can understand a person that is not Perry, I really believe he's the son of God who is enslaved to something that he refuses to let die on the cross of Calvary. What are those plus ones in your life? What are those things we want to necessitate and resuscitate and keep bringing up and keep bringing back and keep just alive enough? Our works, our emotions, our feelings, our sacrifices, what are those things? Because I can promise you this, God has a place that he wants you to be. And if we're not careful, we'll continue to allow those things to be another hindrance, another stumbling block, another speed bump in getting us to that place. I got a confession. As I first read this passage a few weeks ago, I read a couple of things and said, what? What? Is it? This didn't make any sense. You've never prepared a message. That is a petrifying feeling, as you know that you have the duty of preaching that message to somebody else. That and one other thing, as Paige stood up here today to read, there's always this little part of me that says, if she reads the wrong passage, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Thankfully, she read the right passage. But as I began to read this, there's, there's a little phrase that repeats itself. The first two times it repeats itself, and it's real clear. I'm going to point it out to you. The third time, it's a little less clear. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you verse 20 a little harder to understand let no one put you in a place of submission or in slavery there in verse 20 and ask what do you submit to what regulations what things here's the warning that Paul has given us and it's actually a pretty simple warning what is it in your life that blatantly or inadvertently specifically, indirectly, whether you know it, whether you don't know it, whether you intend to or not, what are the things or thing in your life that keeps you from being the express image of the Son of God who died for you and you say you serve? Let no one pass judgment on you. We all know this. We live in a world where people are going to judge you for everything, what you drive, what you say, what you eat, where you live. That's not what it's talking about. It's asking the question, is there any blatant thing in your life when you claim to be a Christian that someone else, especially who's not a Christian, can look at and say, uh-huh, I knew it. Let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you, verse 18 said. That's an athletic term. That means this, you get to the starting blocks and the referee says, uh-uh, you can't do it because of this. What thing blatantly, specifically in your life disqualifies you from the work and the task and the job that Jesus places before you? What thing do you submit to, enslave yourself by, that everybody around you said, uh-huh, I knew it. They can say one thing. That's not it. The greatest danger, a few weeks ago when Pastor Rick was talking, I, I couldn't help but think about this. He was using the image uh, of basically so many people claim to be a Christian. In reality, the only people that are fooling themselves. I'm pretty Southern. You know, that's the whole idea that you can put your boots in the oven, but they don't make them biscuits type thing. We tracking? There's the danger with all of these things. If we're not careful, we'll in our stubbornness and our pride and our intelligence and in our works and in our deeds... We'll walk along as Jesus continually calls, I want you, I died for you. Submit to me and no one else. And we'll live a life, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and we'll stand before him and we'll hear the words, depart from me, I never even knew you. There's the danger when we want to add a plus one. Because if we're not careful, our plus one begins to, becomes the central thing in our life that we hang our hat on and say, we're good, I got it. Perry, hurry up and pray. Let's finish this up. I got it. Check. What's that thing or things that keeps you from being the man or woman that God intends you to be? What's the plus one to the finished work of Christ in your life? Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and what that means when we honestly can't even begin to know or understand or even fathom that. Lord, thank you that while we know this idea of a cross and a Savior and a death and a burial and resurrection, Lord, thank you that even if we barely understand it, that you've completed the work of salvation for us on the cross. To tell us it's done, it's finished, period, complete. There's nothing that we have to add to in order to be your children. So, Father, I pray right now for every person in this room under the sound of my voice, Father, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would do what your Holy Spirit alone can do, that you would draw and you would convict and you would remind and you would bring to mind and you would tear down and you would build up all of those things, Lord, that prevents us from being exactly who you've called us to be that prevents us from being the men and women that you died on a cross to make us. Lord, if it's a sin, I pray right now, Lord, that that sin is left where it's at, that it's confessed and picked up no more. Lord, if it's an area just simply of omission where you're calling us and we refuse to do, Lord, whatever it is. And Father, I pray if there's a single person in this room that does not know you in a real and personal way, that have never stood at the crossroads of life and death and submitted to you as Savior, then I pray that today, as your scripture says, today would be the day of their salvation. Draw them to you. Lord, they don't need to, to walk an aisle or pray a prayer, but Father, we're here. And would you, even during this time of invitation, Lord, if someone needs to talk to somebody or pray for somebody or pray with somebody, Lord, would you give us the freedom not to be bound to a seat, but to respond to your calling and your leading in our life. Lord, would you take these words, would you take this passage, would you use it to change us and to mold us and to make us more into the image of your Son today and tomorrow and for every day to come. Lord, it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.